Well, good morning and welcome to week number two of our series titled Manger Mix. If you are joining us for the very first time, through the course of this series, what we are doing is we are looking at some of these more traditional, more famous Christmas songs or hymns, just like the one you just heard. And we're looking at them with the lens of how what do they tell us? What do they teach us? What do they show us about what I would call the most significant event in the history of the world, the birth of Jesus? Well, today, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is where we'll be. If you're using the Mount app, you can find all of the scripture references and sermon notes right there. If you're using YouVersion or the Bible app, go ahead and pull that up as well. If you have nothing, don't worry. We've got you covered on our screens and our televisions and things like that. But while you are turning there, I do want to take a minute and just, if it's okay with you, I just want to celebrate what God has been doing here. Here at the Mount, kind of through all of you across all of our campuses. I don't know if you know this, but this year, uh, we are on track as of right now. We will end this year where across all of our campuses, our total attendance will be up by about 40% over what it was last year. And that's, that is a huge, like... That is a huge number, and that is on top of a 30% growth we experienced last year. And so to say God is doing incredible things, as part of that number, get this, this number blows me away. By the time we finish this December and we get to the end of the year, between all of our campuses, we would have had around, guesstimating, between 2,800 and 3,000 first-time guests walk through our door. That is incredible. Now... One of the things I love about that is they aren't just walking through our door. We're not just seeing our numbers increase. We are seeing people's lives change. This year, we have had over or almost 200 baptisms and almost, don't miss this number, we've had 70 people give their life to Jesus for the very first time. Like, I... I don't know about you, but when I hear that number of like salvation decisions and baptisms, all I can't help but think about is how many people's lives are now different. How many people who were walking in darkness, who were left alone, stuck in sin, this, this cycle of over and over again are now experiencing true freedom found in Jesus Christ. How many marriages are thriving? How many Kids are different because their parents are different. How many generation after generation will be different because what God is doing in and through a church that values making a difference for one more? And not only that, but like what amazes me is, get this number, we will have given away around half a million dollars to local and global charities and nonprofit organizations. That is Half a million dollars of us being the hands and feet of Jesus to our community. And that doesn't include like the, the tangible things that you guys, you know, like when we say like, hey, we're doing a food drive and you guys bring like 19,000 bags of groceries and clear out whatever grocery store you go to or you bring boxes full of stuff. I just want to say it is a humble privilege and honor to be a part of a church that is making a difference. And I want you to know this in case you're skeptical. Every single dollar you give here matters. All of it is going towards making a difference for people like you and for people who are far from God. 
And so this year is, and I'm sure every nonprofit organization has sent you an email about it in the last week or two. As we end the, the end of the year, I just want to encourage you or maybe challenge you. As you think about your year-end giving strategy, would you consider the mount? Because we want to move into 2024 with our arms wide open and our hands ready to just receive and move forward with what God wants us to do. And your giving is a huge part of helping us live that out and make it happen. So would you consider it? I want to pray for us, and then we'll kind of dive into week number two of this series. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that you are a generous God. God, we ask, we, we expectantly look forward to 2024, what you are going to do in and through us by your power and by your spirit, how we are going to see lives changed because of your faithfulness and your goodness to bring people back from the dead week in and week out. God, we don't want to just move into that. We want to stop and say we are thankful and we are in awe of your faithfulness this year. God, you have, you have saved marriages in this building. You have saved lives in this building from people who are struggling with thoughts of suicide. God, you have freed people from addiction. You have broken financial chains. You have broken mental barriers and walls. You have knocked them down because you are a God who is powerful and mighty and moves. God, and we love you and thank you. Amen. Well, for those of us that have kids, and I, I don't know if maybe you were different than me, but when, I, uh, had my, when my wife had our first child, I was not ready. I, I was not expecting how differently my life would be. Uh, you know, I thought some things would change. I was not ready for how drastically my life would change with the birth of a child. Maybe you remember back in those early days, if you have kids, when your kids were young, I, I don't think I ever anticipated how much I would be playing peekaboo. Like, I played peekaboo so much that my kids probably thought I was a magical and could disappear and leave the room. I was so good at peekaboo. I remember reading those. I never thought I'd be reading, you know, like those books where you like you touch things and feel things. And I was like, ooh, this is rhino skin. Ooh, this is a carpet. And I'm like, ooh, this is great. I never have read a book before that I could touch and feel things. I was different. It changed me. I remember all the new smells and all the new sounds that filled my house. Some good, some not so good. I remember one day hearing my wife and some of her friends talk about when our kids were really young, the, the greatest win they had that day was they were able to take a shower without a toddler banging on the wall or the door to get in. They had a moment of freedom. I remember this strange moment looking at my wife one day as we're cheering and celebrating and jumping and clapping because someone just went potty in the big body. I'm thinking, well, is this what my life has come to now? I remember all of the things my mom growing up used to punish me for, all things now that I longed for, being sent to my room, time alone, time out, go to bed early. The birth of a child changes things. The birth of Jesus was no different. Like as much as we talk about it, like his parents, Mary and Joseph, these two teenagers, they had to experience all the changes that comes with a baby entering their home. All the new rhythms and the routines, all the, the changes in their plans and their wants and their dreams and their desires and kind of mold and shape into this family. But beyond that, except that Jesus was sort of not just some normal birth, was it? The birth of Jesus was, was bigger, it was grander, it was far more spectacular and more significant than any birth in history. 
Because the birth of Jesus, like how every birth changes something, the birth of Jesus, though, it changed. It brought about these changes and things that I think the world didn't even know it needed until he arrived. Things like joy and peace and hope and love. Last week, we said, if you were with us for the first time, we said that the birth of Jesus brought fulfillment and satisfaction to this longing that is deep within our souls and our hearts. And we had been chasing this this fulfillment and completeness and all these other things, and we didn't even know it was Jesus that we needed until he appeared and lived and died. And then the lights went on, and our soul knew that's what I've been missing. And this week, what I want to do is I want to talk about how the, the arrival of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, was an incredible display of love to the world. It's interesting to think that 2,000 years ago, and this is hard for us because we, those of us that have heard the Jesus story, the Christmas story, we know who Jesus is a little bit. But it's hard to think that 2,000 years ago, humans thought that the way they loved or the way someone loved them was the extent of human love. If you would have asked someone 2,000 years ago, they would have said, oh, this person did this for me, and it was incredibly kind, incredibly nice, and incredibly generous, and it was so thoughtful, and it was so loving. Or they may say, man, I did this for so-and-so. I did this. This happened. I gave this up. I did this. And I was incredibly loving in that moment. What's interesting, though, is when Jesus appears on the scene, when this little baby is born, when he grows up and performs all of his miracles and all of his teachings and then obediently goes to death on a cross and dies, as if the world all of a sudden knows the love we thought was the extent of human love is nowhere close to what true love really is. Because a baby changes everything. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to look at the song that we just sung or just heard, What Child Is This?, and see some of the ways that Jesus' birth displays this love to the world around us. And the first thing, if you're taking notes, you might write this down, is his love is displayed through his humble birth, through his humble birth. Look at the way Luke describes it in his gospel when he talks about the birth of Jesus. And if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you've probably heard this quite a bit. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. It says this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. In essence, what it's doing here is establishing its context in history. So Caesar Augustus has said, I need a count of all the people who exist in the Roman world. And so everyone is going to take their place. They're going to go to where they need to be. And it says everyone went to their town to register. You couldn't be kind of on the roll, on the register, wherever you live. You had to go back to where you came from. And for Mary and Joseph, that's not that far. But think of the complicity of the wide reach of the Roman Empire. You might have have to go from the far eastern side of the empire to the far western side of the empire if you had traveled far. This was a big deal. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, where he was living, and he went to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So Joseph takes back to his house, which is in the town of Bethlehem, this, this backwater, like, not a lot of people, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, outside of Jerusalem. Nobody really thought much about Bethlehem. They were kind of just kind of the, I don't, I don't know, the, the rednecks of first century Palestine, you might say. And it says, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, uh, if you're familiar with the story, I love this. Like, they go there, they take this journey. She's nine months pregnant, and they take this journey on a donkey. Now, I do not have much experience riding on a donkey. 
I have to imagine that the shock absorbers on a donkey are not that great. And like the fact that she rode there nine months pregnant, I would think nine months pregnant riding in a Honda Accord may make the baby pop out. She's riding there on a donkey and she gets there. No wonder when she gets there, what does it say? While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Why? Because there was no guest room available for them. Some translations, there was no room at the inn, the hotel where they were staying. And so what you see is this incredibly humble birth for Jesus. In our song, What Child Is This? It says, a couple lines says it this way. It says, hail, hail, the word made flesh. That phrase, the word made flesh, is a fascinating line in a song because what it's alluding to is it's alluding to the fact that Jesus was the word of God, the very word that spoke all of creation into existence, the very word that spoke constellations into existence, the very word that created the heavens and the earth and the animals and human beings. It was the breath of God, and that word, that power, that authority decided it chose to become flesh. It humbled itself into flesh. The song continues, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Like when you hear this line, depending on where you are in your mothering journey, if you're a mother, that might make you say, nobody make noise because the baby's sleeping. Or it might make you feel a little sentimental and be like, I remember those peaceful days when my child was smaller and quiet and helpless. And what the author of this song, William, is trying to show us is that Jesus was the word made flesh, this powerful, all-knowing, ever-present thing that could do anything he wanted, but he chose not to come as a conquering king. He chose not to come as this fully independent, autonomous, self-controlled adult who just walked out of the wilderness one day and decided to change the world. No, he chose to come as a baby sleeping on his mother's lap helpless, dependent on another human being for every need and want and desire. Continues, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. I love this line because shepherds weren't like, the bottom of the social ladder in first century Jewish times, but they definitely were near the bottom. They weren't royalty, they weren't famous, they weren't wealthy, they weren't any of those things. And the imagery here of this song is that it's the shepherds that are guarding Jesus. Not an army, not a group of royal soldiers, not a well-protected, well-equipped, well-financed group of people. No, it's shepherds, Dirty shepherds from the fields are guarding this most important baby. And it continues, why lies he in such mean a state where ox and lambs are feeding? Uh, a confession, when I first heard this song, when I became a believer, I thought for the longest time, the way the person sung it, that it said, why lies he in such a mean state? And I thought Jesus was just like mad. Like the song was saying, Jesus is mad. He's angry. And I was like, well, no wonder. Like the ox and the lambs are making noise. He's trying to sleep, right? Like I, I really thought that's what it said. But no, it says he's mean estate. The idea here is that word estate refers to a dwelling or a home or a place that is sort of subpar. 
Because Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't even born in a house. He was born among filthy, dirty animals. And what I love about this is that William, when he writes this song, remember the context as he's writing this song, as he's laying on his deathbed, he's writing a poem, The Manger Throne, and he's reflecting on what it would have been like to be one of the wise men coming to see Jesus in that moment. And the wise men, if you're familiar with the story, they had had this prophecy about this great king who would be born and a star would lead them to him. And so they they begin to follow this star and they're going to see this all-powerful, mighty, superior, royal king who will take over and destroy and do all this and conquer and it will be huge and it will be awesome. And when they get there, you get this sense by the way the song is asking these questions is that these wise men are incredibly confused. They're like, what? Who is this? Who is this child in the, his mother's lap with the, like, with the trough and the animals? And like, what, what, what is happening here? You get this sense that they were expecting this, this royalty, this guy who was guarded by soldiers. But no, they find this little baby in a place with animals. Why? Because God took one of the most spectacular events in human history and clothed it deeply with humility. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 7 says it this way about Jesus. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature, he was God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, what did he do? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The birth of of a child changes things. The birth of Jesus meant God was no longer distant. He was no longer out of reach. He was not just this royal thing that you could not access. No, his humble birth means that no matter where you are this morning, no matter how messed up or dirty or shameful you think you are, You don't have to clean yourself up to come to the king. You don't have to make yourself look better and get all your eggs in the basket and your ducks in a row. You don't have to do any of those things because Jesus was born in the most humble situation showing you that you and I in our most humble, humiliating, sinful, rebellious, openly defiant state we have ever been in, he still accepts us and wants us to be with him. His humble birth displays love in a great, shining way. The second thing is his birth displays his horrific death. There's this beautiful kind of prophetic moment in the middle of this song where the writer, he's painting this picture of Jesus sitting on his mother's lap surrounded by these shepherds. And it's this this peaceful moment. And I want you to see what he says. He says this during that moment. He says, good Christians fear for sinners here. And my favorite line of the entire song, the silent word is pleading for nails and spear shall pierce him through the cross that he bore for me and for you. In other words, the writer is saying, see this baby? See this king. See this little baby who is silently pleading for your salvation. He can't even talk yet. He can't mutter words. 
But the picture here is that he sits in his mother's lap moments after birth, just introduced to the world, just opened his eyes. The very first thing he begins doing is he begins praying and thinking and pleading for the salvation of the world that he has come to save. That is beautiful. And it is a foreshadow of what is to come because it says that he is pierced because he is the son of God, the word made flesh, a baby born for a purpose, marked for death for you and I. Philippians 2 continues saying it this way. It says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and then what? And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the beauty of the Christmas season. That you and I, every one of us, before we were ever even born, before we were ever even formed in our mother's womb, Scripture says that God knew the hairs on our head. He knew every detail that would ever exist about our life. He knew every good thing we thought we would do, every bad mistake, every selfish thought, every action. He knew everything about us, and he looked at us, and he says, I love that person. I love those people so much that I am going to send my son to be born in this humble, low, mean estate so that one day he can grow up after 33 years, and he can obediently, willingly lay down his life for them so that they as human beings can be brought near and have salvation and redemption and forgiveness, something they can never earn on their own. It is a free gift from me by grace through faith for them and I will give it to them. And here's the news. It doesn't matter if you've gone to church one time or a thousand times. If you've never made that decision, that is the good news of Jesus is that he is for you the baby born for you. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 24 says it this way. He committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds... We have been healed. The birth of a child changes things. We are forgiven because he took our place. The third thing is, first, it's his humble birth and his horrific death. And third, his honorable worth. Look at some of the lyrics of the song. I love these. It says, haste, haste to bring him laud. Laud is a common word you probably use regularly, so just in case you don't, I'll explain it. Uh, it means like honor, like worth, like praise, like significance. And so what, again, what the, the author of the song is saying here is he's trying to paint this picture of these wise men who have been traveling for a long time, and finally they find this baby, and they are in a hurry. It's haste. It's, hey, quickly come. Quickly come and worship this baby. Come and give him honor and give him praise. Why? Because their worship in this moment is not out of duty. It's not out of obligation. Obligation. It is a privilege and an honor for them to be there and worship this baby who was born. And it says they bring him gold and incense and myrrh, the gifts that they bring to show that he has wealth and significance and value. And then it says this phrase, I love this phrase, come peasant and king to own him. William, when he writes this song, he's letting you know when it comes to honoring and worshiping and giving Jesus his worth and value, 
It's not just the socially elite that get to do it. It's the peasant and the king. But not only that, it's showing that even the king that you think the most important person when it comes to the eyes of Jesus, they're equal with the peasant and they all should be worshiping him. Philippians 2, 8, 11 says it this way. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name of, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His honor and worth is above all. Let me just show you a couple more lyrics from the song. I love this one. It says, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? I love that phrase, what child is this? It's painting this picture of these wise men who are, who are there and they're like, who is this? What child is this? That phrase is interesting to me because if you think about for the past 2,000 years since the birth of Jesus, it is the same question that human beings have been asking over and over and over again. Who is this baby? What's so important? What child is this? What is happening here? It's the very same question that Jesus pretty much asked of himself to his disciples. He looked at his friends and he said, hey, who does everyone else say I am? And then he says, who do you say I am? because everyone for thousands and thousands of years has wondered, who is Jesus? What is this child? What is so important about this baby? This child is the almighty creator of the world. He is the one who by his very voice spoke existence he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who created every single animal and plant. He is the one who created human beings by the power of his voice. He is the one, when he was born, 30 years later, he appeared on the side of a river by the name of Jordan. And when he walked there, his cousin, uh, John the Baptist, who was filthy and dirty, saw him. And immediately upon seeing him, screams out, Behold, the Son of God, or behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. This child is the one who gathered people around him and spent years teaching them, equipping them to go out and change the world. This child is the one who performed miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. This child is the one who prayed for the sick, raised people from the dead. This child is the one who obediently, willingly, knowingly went to death on a cross to take the place for you and I as substitutes for our sin, for our punishment. This child is the one that three days later rose from the dead, bust out of the tomb, and went around for 40 more days telling everyone who he is. This child is the one who disappeared then and is waiting by the right hand of his father in heaven, waiting for the moment when God says go and he will come back and this child will come and be the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he will fix and right everything that is wrong with our world. This child, this child is Christ, the king. And the question is, what will you do with him? Towards the end of the song, there's a line. It says, come peasant and king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Then what? Let loving hearts enthrone him. He is Christ the king.
the king. Enthrone him. Put him in his proper place. Maybe you are here this morning at all of our campuses and you've surrendered your life to Jesus. And he has ownership and claim, lordship over your eternal destiny. But there are areas of your life right now that you're not turning over to him. Maybe it's your finances, your, your career, the way you raise your kids, it's your marriage or relationship, maybe it's your time, your calendar, your schedule, maybe it's the way you, your thought life, maybe it's your actions, maybe what you do on the weekends, maybe it's this, 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 but there's something you, you say, yeah, yeah, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. He's my king, he's my Lord, but this thing, over here, these things, I'm gonna control, I'm gonna hold on to, and I'm gonna be the Lord of this and this and this, Jesus, you can have that. Let me just tell you, if he is Christ the king, he is Lord over all, not just some. Where do you need to enthrone him, to surrender to him, to put him in his place as Lord and King of your life? And maybe you are here this morning and you are in desperate need of just God to be the King of your life. Because if you're honest, you've been doing it your way, in your own power, in your own strength, and you make a really bad king. The birth of a baby changes everything. And it can change everything for you today if you surrender to Christ the King. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you give us such theologically rich songs like What Child Is This? Songs that show us, that paint word pictures for what, it, what we deeply believe about Scripture. In this moment, as we continue praying across all of our campuses, maybe you're here and you would say, Adam, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm, I'm following him. I'm, I'm in love with him and I, I, I can't wait to be with him forever. But Adam, if I'm honest, there's an area of my life right now that I'm not letting go of. I'm trying to be Lord and King. And today I want to surrender that area. If that's you, if you just want to be honest in this moment and say there's something you're trying to wrestle with, you're holding on to, and you need to let it go this morning, would you just, wherever you are, raise your hand? If your hand is raised, I want you to look up at me for a second. I know it's hard. I know feel like letting go feels like the unknown. It feels like, man, if I do this, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know, I won't have control. Let me just say, if you trust him with your life, you can trust him with that. He's bigger than that. He's a good king. And he will never lead you to a place where he is not with you. Father, I pray for every hand that was raised that you would push them to surrender to a place of open-handed trust in your goodness as Christ the King. As we continue praying, maybe you're here today and you would say, Adam, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never surrendered control like you were talking about. But today, I want to. 
You are not here by accident or mistake. You are here because the God of the universe orchestrated you to be here in this moment so that he could tug at your heart and you could ask him to be your king. And so just in the stillness of this moment at all of our campuses, would you be bold enough? If you want to surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time, would you just raise your hand high right where you are? If your hand is raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner. I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my King. I surrender and trust in you. Amen.